Colossians chapter 3 is where you need to go. If you don't have a Bible with you, I hope that you'll find one. Get close to someone who has one so you can follow along as we study God's Word together today. Last week we looked at a text that is often lifted from its context, used to teach ideas that either aren't in the text at all, or are at best secondary to the main point. So we made every effort to make sure that we stay connected to what we have been seeing over the last several weeks in Colossians. One preacher in Jackson, Mississippi summed up the passage we looked at last week with these three statements that will be on the screen. He says, the peace of Christ secures our unity. So therefore, we must pursue the peace of Christ and let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Number two, he says, the word of Christ advances ministry. So we must let the word of Christ dwell in us richly through personal spiritual discipline, through community discipleship, teaching and admonishing one another, and through corporate worship like Laura talked about a minute ago. And thirdly, he says, the name of Christ turns everything we do into doxology. All we do, especially in our life together as the body of Christ, is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, last week, we talked about the importance of a posture of gratitude in all of this. As Paul mentions it in all three of the verses we looked at last week. When we ponder who we were, what God has done for us in Christ, who we are now by his grace alone, we are brought into a posture of humble gratitude. When I dwell on the indicative statements that we've seen in the text, that we are chosen of God, holy and beloved, I'm grateful. And from that posture of gratitude, I can do the things that I'm called to do in these imperative commands that we're seeing throughout this section of Colossians. Well, this week we're going to shift gears a bit as we move away from uh, this direction, these commands about our life as a church, as the body of Christ gathered together, into direction about life at home. As new creatures in Christ Jesus, we should live differently, together as a church when we gather and within our homes. John MacArthur says, Christianity is not just personal, it's relational. The new life of the new man is lived in and among other new men. The new man is to have an impact also on the society in which he lives. Nowhere should the societal impact of the new man be more evident than in the home, the single most important social institution in the world. So what we're going to look at today, many scholars refer to as a household code. Starting in chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1, these household codes were common in the first century, and they outlined the expectations of various parties in various relationships. But what Paul does here in this text is a markedly Christian household code, which would be far different from a Roman household code or a Greek Greek household code, or even a Jewish household code, what he lays out here is revolutionary and was dramatically impacted by the new life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to say clearly right off the bat that this is not the expectation for every household. Like we should not expect our lost neighbors to live like this. We should not expect lost husbands and lost wives, lost children and lost parents, lost slaves and lost masters to act according to this pattern. Although that would be great. If everyone acted according to this pattern, this would be great. But this text is the expectation for the Christian household. What we are going to see outlined here is the expectation for believers who are husbands, for believers who are wives, for believers who are children, for believers who are parents. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to read 
uh, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to pay careful attention to verse 18 and 19. We'll see children and fathers next week, slaves and masters the week after that. But I want you to see right off the bat this whole section together today. Remember, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be those who are chosen of God, who are holy and beloved. This is what it looks like to take off the old man and put on the new, to lay aside those old ways of life and put on the new life that has been given you in Christ Jesus. So read with me, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, as those who have been redeemed by you, rescued, delivered, cleansed, forgiven, justified, adopted into your family by grace through faith in Christ, we want to live in a way that honors you. In our life together as a church, in our homes as families, we thank you for laying out the expectations of the new life for us. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark to figure this out for ourselves. Father, I pray for wives, Christian wives in the room today. Father, give them eyes to see what is fitting in the Lord and to submit to their husbands accordingly. Give them hearts that do this with gladness and give them courage to swim against the current of the broader culture in doing this. Father, I pray for husbands, Christian husbands in the room today. Give them a clear vision of the love of Christ for the church And let them love their wives the same way. Give them humility, selflessness to lay down their very lives for their wives. Give them a spirit of gentleness and patience and kindness. We ask, Father, that you would encourage us where encouragement is proper. And that you would convict us where conviction is needed in order to bring about repentance. We pray that you would give us ears to hear all that you're saying to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there are obviously two parts of the text today with clear commands to two different specific groups of people. First thing, though, is to notice that this whole letter is written to believers. This whole letter is written to Christians, to those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So the first question we need to deal with today is, is that you? If not, maybe today is the day that everything changes for you. Maybe today is the day that God will open your eyes to the reality of his holiness, his righteousness, his justice. Maybe today is the day he will open your eyes to the reality of your sinfulness, your rebellion. 
Maybe today is the day he will open your eyes to the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. Maybe today he will give you faith to trust completely in the Lord Jesus Christ, in who he is and what he has done for you. Maybe today he will give you repentance to turn away from your sins and walk in faithfulness unto the Lord. Maybe for you, today is the day that everything changes. So I would invite you, even here at the beginning of the message, to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ today to be saved. This text is for Christians. And if you're a Christian, you need to listen up. More specifically this week, this text is for Christian husbands and Christian wives. Now, if you don't fall into one of those two categories, you can leave. That wouldn't be a good idea, right? That's not the way we do it. If you don't fall into one of these two categories, you need to listen up especially too. Because some of you are going to become Christian husbands, Christian wives. And so this text will help prepare you for that season. For others of you, maybe you'll never be Christian husbands, Christian wives but you live amongst people who are. And we've talked about how sanctification and growth and godliness is a community project. And so if you are forever single, you can help those of us who are Christian husbands, Christian wives, to be the people God has called us to be. You can help us be obedient to God's word. You can encourage us. You can pray for us. You're involved in this as well. So this is a text for everyone today. Our Kent Hughes says that Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 is patently domestic. It has to do with the home, specifically a Christian home. Moreover, it has to do with the relationship between a Christian husband and a Christian wife. And as such, it has nothing to say about men's and women's roles in society, such as the marketplace or politics. They're not making blanket statements here today about the roles of men and the roles of women in general society. This text is about husbands and wives within the home. Uh, within your home, and we want to apply it that way. So we'll start with the wives. Look at verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Christian, Christian wives, raise your hands. Listen up. Listen up. This is for you. Immediately, as we look at this verse, I want to make one application about how we read the Bible. We must read the Bible with a posture of humble compliance and obedience. If we read this text and immediately dismiss it as outdated, unwise, distasteful, or some otherwise problematic, we have a massive problem. Let me say it another way. We have a massive problem if this text rubs us the wrong way. The problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with us. I heard a preacher one time talking about how the church that he grew up in had plastered on one of the walls. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. And he was like, man, I I like that until I grew a little bit in my faith. And then I came to realize it was all out of order. The way that should read is the Bible says it. That settles it. I believe it. And we want to read the Bible with that kind of posture. That this is what God has said. This is how he has directed us. And that settles the matter. And we must believe it, and we must obey it. I want us to read this text today with humility, with submission, with compliance, with obedience. The Greek word behind the command, be subject, wives, be subject to your husbands. Some translations read it as submit to your husbands. The Greek word that's behind that is different from the word that would have been used in secular household codes in Paul's day for the wives. Those secular codes amongst the Romans or the Greeks would have said, obey, 
and emphasize the authoritarian aspect of the leader rather than the humble submission of the follower. The word that Paul uses that God ordained for him to use in the Bible here in Colossians comes from a compound Greek word that means to put yourself voluntarily under someone else, willingly and not by compulsion. And it's a beautiful thing. What Paul is calling for here for wives to be subject or wives submit to your husbands, it is a beautiful thing. It's not an ugly thing. It's not a threatening thing. Mark Maynell says this about it. He says, a working biblical definition of submission should run more like this. One equal person's voluntary acceptance of the authority of another equal person. That's a good word. One equal person's voluntary acceptance of the authority of another equal person. And in saying this, Mark Maynell points out something that is hugely important for us to understand as we study this text today. The Bible is very clear that every person, man, woman, boy, girl, Jew, Greek, slave, free, black, white, rich, poor, born, unborn, every person is created in the image of God. And therefore... Every person is equal in worth and dignity. All people equally valued as image bearers of God. The Danvers Statement, which outlines the complementarian view of gender roles, says, quote, Both Adam and Eve were created in God's image and equal before God as persons and distinct in their manhood and womanhood. So the first thing I want you to see when we talk about this idea of submission is that there is an essential equality of all people. There is an essential equality of all people. There is essential equality of the husband and the wife. We're not talking about one person of more value than another. We are talking about essential equality. And yet, within that essential equality, God has given different people different roles within society. He has set up, in other words, an order of authority, a structure of authority that is a gift to us. It's a good gift to us for our good. And so maybe the way I would say that is we are equal. There is essential equality, but there are very real differences between men and women. There is essential equality, but there are very real differences. The Danvers statement talks about this when it says distinctions in masculine and feminine roles are ordained by God as a part of the created order, and should find an echo in every human heart. And this authority structure that God has set up is a good thing. It may not feel like a good thing to you. It may not sound like a good thing. It certainly is not viewed as a good thing from our broader culture. But this authority that God has set up for us is a very good thing. And it is our satanic bent that rejects authority and wants to always be the authority. Is that not what Satan wanted to do? To reject the authority of God and to be the authority himself? And so when that rises up in you, when you read this text, wives, Christian wives, when you hear God say, be subject, submit yourselves to your husbands, when what rises up in you is, I don't want to submit to any authority. I want to be the authority. When that happens, that's satanic. It doesn't come from the Father. It comes from below. So there is essential unity between the husband and the wife, essential equality between the husband and the wife, but there is very real difference. And this authority structure is a really good gift from God. If that idea of equal but different, equal and yet under authority is hard for you to understand, 
I would simply invite you to reflect on the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. If you don't think people can be equal and yet submit one to another, I just want you to think about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Are they equal? Absolutely. Absolutely. God the Father is fully God, and God the Son is fully God, and they are absolutely equal, essential equality. And yet what we see in the Son is a glad and willing submission to the Father. He gets direction from the Father. He is obedient to the Father. And so we see that those two things actually can coexist, that equality and submission can coexist. Uh, Richard Lucas says it like this. He says, if the Son is simultaneously equal with the Father and submissive to the Father, then equality and submissiveness can coexist also in human relationships. So what we see here when we're talking about submit or be subject to your husbands, we're talking about being equal but different with different roles and responsibilities. And we're talking about a structure of authority that is actually a good thing for us. Notice in the text that Paul's directive is for the wives to submit to their husbands. It is not a blanket call for submission of all women to all men. That's not what's going on in the text. Nor is it a call for submission to some impersonal, impersonal, disconnected entity. He says, wives, be subject to your husband. Who, by the way, the text is going to next command to love you. Be subject, submit yourself to your husband. Finally, notice that Paul says, this is fitting in the Lord. There is a way to operate, there's a way to live that fits as a Christian... And there's a way to operate and a way to live that does not fit. And this whole section of Colossians is teaching us the way to operate that fits the new creature. The way to operate that fits the new life that we have been given in Christ. And as we talk about this, I want you wives to hear me clearly. I do not think that this text means that a woman who is being abused by her husband must just sit there and take it. I do not believe the Bible commands you to do that. This is not unqualified, absolute submission. If your husband is abusing you verbally, emotionally, physically, that is not fitting in the Lord. That is not what the new life looks like. And if you are being abused, Christian wives, First Baptist wives, make a call. Make a call to the leaders of the church. Charles Spurgeon writes about this in lectures to my students where evidently a member of his church was being abusive to his wife. And Spurgeon writes that we appointed, quote, we appointed some stout elders, some stout elders to visit this man. And we need some stout elders to visit some men. But we won't know, wives, unless, unless you tell us. Make a call to the leaders of the church. Make a call to the police. That kind of abuse is sin, and it's also a crime. And, and God has given authorities to us for a purpose. So don't, don't think that I'm trying to teach this text, hang this text on you, as you must just sit there and take abuse. It's not at all what God designs for us. Call the church leaders. Call the police. Get yourself to someplace safe. Hear me also clearly. I'm not advocating that you seek divorce immediately. I am saying seek some help. 
seek some safety so that we can seek repentance. All right, so wives, submit to your husbands. If he is abusing you, get somebody involved. Make a call. The statement here in Colossians chapter 3 is very brief. It's like the Cliff's Notes version or the Spark Notes version of what's going on in Ephesians chapter 5. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me. It'll be on the screen or you can turn there. It's just a couple pages away. In Ephesians chapter 5, he gives more detail and says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. My question for you wives when we look at this is what is the tone of the church's submission to Christ? What is the tone of the church's submission to Christ? Is it bitter? Is it angry? Is it teeth clenched? I'll submit to Jesus because it's what I've got to do. Is that the way we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ? No, we as Christians gladly submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that is the tone of the church's submission to Christ, then that should be the tone of the wife's submission to her husband. So wives, Christian wives, be subject to your husbands. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Christian husbands, raise your hands. Listen up. This is for you. Love your wives. Love your wives. Do not rule your wives. That's what you would find in a Roman household code. And it would fit, seem to fit, with the command for the wives to submit. It would really fit if the command is, wives, obey your husbands. Then it would be fitting for the next step to be, husbands, rule your wives. But this is a markedly Christian household code. It is not a secular household code. And so the call for the husbands is to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives. It's worth pointing out here that Paul always directs the subordinate party first. When we look at these three pairs of relationships in this section of Colossians, he always gives direction to the subordinate party first. And then he never tells the authoritative party to make the subordinate party submit, to make the subordinate party do what he's told them to do. Rather, he tells the authoritative party to lead like Jesus led, to act like Jesus. The word love in the text here is from agape, So it denotes a self-sacrificing love that seeks the good of another, even at one's own expense. It's also interesting that it's a present tense imperative. So it means go on loving. So it it would actually read better, husbands, keep on loving your wives. A lot of times, husbands love a girl until she becomes his wife, and then they kind of quit. They kind of stop loving. Stop pursuing, stop sacrificing, stop wooing. Husbands, keep on loving your wives. Don't stop once you marry her. Let's look at the expanded version of this in Ephesians chapter 5. We get more detail. In in Colossians 3, he just says, love your wives. But in Ephesians 5, he gives us more detail. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she would be holy and blameless. 
So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I'm always struck when I read in Ephesians chapter 5 that Paul gives so many more words to the husbands than he does to the wives. So much more explanation about what we are supposed to do than he gives to the wives. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, you, I don't have to tell them, tell you what they are. Um, there are a lot of reasons why we need more explanation. But look at that. He says, husbands, love your wife, wife like Christ loves the church. Love your wife like Jesus gave himself for the church in order to sanctify the church, in order to wash the church, in order to make the church holy and present her to himself spotless and without wrinkle or any such thing. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. That's heavy. It's a tall order. And it's perfectly clear. Like there's no way around it. There's no way to say, well, love your wife as Christ loves the church unless, except for, love your wife like Christ loves the church. And if that wasn't clear enough, he says, love your wife like you love yourself. No one ever hated his own flesh. No one ever dealt harshly with his own flesh. But you nourish your own flesh. You cherish your own flesh. You seek your own flesh's comfort and well-being. And in the same way, you should seek that for your wife because you are one flesh. You and she are one. So husbands, love your wives like you love yourself because in loving her, you are loving yourself in so many ways. One thing is really interesting when we make observations about this text is that for every other party that is addressed in this larger section, as he deals with wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, in every other directive to every other party, Paul gives some kind of basis or motivation for the call to action. Remember from the wives? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Right? That's the basis for it. It's a motivation for it. When he comes to the husbands, he doesn't give any basis or motivation. He gives a secondary command. That's, that's incredible to me. He gives a secondary command. Look at it in the text. He says, don't be embittered against them. Don't be bitter toward them, some translations say. Don't be harsh with them, multiple translations say. And we need to hear that, fellas. Christian husbands, you need to hear that. Love your wives and don't be harsh to them. And I like Paul's tone when he deals with men. I like Paul's tone when he deals with men. He just goes right at the men. He speaks to them like men. He tells them what they should do. Husbands. Do not think because you're in a position of authority, that because you're in a position of headship in your household, that you get to be ugly to your wife. There is no place for ugliness to your wife in the Christian home. There is no place in the Christian home for abuse of any kind, verbal, mental, physical. There is no place for abuse in the Christian home. Fellas, listen to me clearly. There is no place in the Christian home for intimidation and threats. You are bigger and stronger. There is no place to flex that over her. It doesn't fit in the Christian home. That is not the way Jesus deals with us as his church. 
There is no place in the Christian home for a patronizing or condescending tone as if she is less than you. That stuff is old man stuff. That stuff is what you were supposed to take off and lay aside. That stuff does not fit with the new man that you are in Christ. It belongs to the world. It belongs to the old man. It belongs to the devil. And that stuff needs to be put to death, fellas. If your wife is afraid of you, you're doing it wrong. And you need to repent. If your wife is hesitant to approach you, to speak up, to express disagreement with you, you're doing it wrong. And you need to repent. If your wife is like a dog who cowers every time its master gets near, she is not submissive to you. She's afraid of you. She's broken. And you broke her. And you need to repent. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's what the text says. There's no way around it. Brothers, we need to help each other do this. We need to help each other love our wives and not be harsh with them, not be bitter toward them, not be angry toward them. We need to help each other with this. And as heads of households, the primary responsibility for all of this is ours. Maybe a hard thing for you to hear, but if if it's going wrong at your house, you're the man. I want to say this, First Baptist husbands, Christian husbands, some of you are doing a great job. Some of you I look up to so much. I watch you love your wives. I watch you be gentle with them and kind with them and compassionate with them and yet lead with strength and and Christ-likeness. Some of you guys are You're doing it. Keep it up. Keep it up because we need to see that. The rest of us need to see that. We need to have someone that we can look at and say, that's what it's supposed to look like. Help me me look like that. Some of you are doing it. Keep it up. But hear me clearly, First Baptist husbands. Some of you need to wake up. Grow up. Man up. Make some massive changes. Make some massive apologies. Do some serious repenting. God says in his word, with authority, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A few final thoughts. This applies to you. There's a tendency when we read a text like this, if we are husbands, to say, man, I hope she's listening to that first part. And if we're wives, to say, man, I hope he heard all that. Don't do that. If you're a husband, listen to the husband part. That's for you. And if you're a wife, listen to the wife part because it is for you. Apply this to you first. Second thing I would say before we move to application is we need to read these commands together. 
Like these, these two things travel together. You're never, you're never going to see this directive to wives separated from the directive to husbands, nor will you see a directive to husbands separated from a directive to wives. These two things are traveling together. We want to keep them together because this is the goal we are striving toward. We are not striving toward a goal where we've got a great husband in a First Baptist house and a terrible wife in a First Baptist house. And we're like, 50%, not bad. Like That's not what, that's not what we're striving for. We, we want to strive for great Christian husbands and great Christian wives in a household together. We want to strive for great Christian marriages, great Christian households, right? So let's read these together. Let's keep them together. We want marriages at First Baptist to be great. Don't remove these commands from each other. They go together. And along those same lines, don't wait. Don't wait until the other one's doing what the text says for them to do before you start doing what you're supposed to do, all right? Some of you already are thinking that. Some of you are already like, well, I'll submit to him when he starts loving me, and not a second sooner. And others are saying, well, I'll love her when she starts respecting me and submitting to me, and not a second sooner. And if you keep living like that, you know what's going to happen? Divorce. That's probably the right answer to the question. What's going to happen is, is tragedy and disaster. So I'm saying pursue obedience to God's word in your life right now. It's not contingent. It's not contingent upon someone else's obedience. Pursue obedience to God's word in your life right now. And lastly, I would say, I'm so thankful for the wisdom of God in the text here. So thankful that God knows what we need. As men, he knows what we need. So he says to wives, wives, submit to your husbands because what men need is respect. And he says to to husbands, love your wives because he knows that you need love. And he knows that you speak love in that language. It's good wisdom from the Lord here. He knows who we are and he knows what we need and he knows what is best. So there are exactly two applications for the text today. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Could it be clearer? I don't think it could. It's simple and direct and clear. But how do we do this? How do we know if we are doing this? So here's the real practical homework that I'm going to give to you, husbands and wives today. Talk about it. I want to prescribe for all of you that are married that are believers and are married, to go on a date this week and have a conversation about this. To go on a date this week and talk about expectations. To ask the question, hey, am I, am I loving you the way you need to be loved? Am I embittered towards you? Am I harsh with you? Are there ways that maybe I'm just blind to that and, and need it pointed out to me because I'm a guy and I don't get it sometimes? Is everything okay at our house? I was talking the other day with with some other pastors about just how often a couple comes to us for counseling and it's it's just all about to fall apart. And, And the guy is like, I had no idea there was a problem at all. And the wife is like, it's been bad for years, man. So I'm I'm inviting you to have the talk now. To sit down face to face with just each other and say, how's it going? What expectations do you have of me? Are those expectations biblical? 
Are those expectations realistic? Are those expectations being met? What needs to change so that we can do what God has told us to do in this text? Husbands, you need to set this up. You need to make the plan to have this conversation. You need to be the one to get the babysitter, to make the arrangements, to find out where you fail if you get in the car and like, where do you want to eat, honey? Like, you've already failed. You've already failed the homework if that's where you start. So, guys, make, make the plan. Make the plan. Set it up. Lead the conversation. You know why? Because you're the man. You're the husband. Do it. Wives, if he won't, do it. If he won't do it, do it. It needs to happen. There needs to be this communication. And we want it to be for the purpose of growth together. All right? Hear hear me on this. We want to have this conversation so that we'll be growing together. Right? So, so So that we are growing together. If you have this conversation in your mind thinking, this is my chance to change her. This is my chance to change him. Like if that if you're like, I'm I'm sold on this, Chris. I've got a plan already because things are gonna change in her when this is over. That's not that's not the idea, okay? But that's that's the fallenness in you that's wanting to do that. And so I'm trying to steer you away from that and say, what what we want is change us. Let's 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 be, be let's us be better. Let's grow together in this. So go on the date, have the talk, and let's grow together. And the last thing I want to say, as you do that, as you pursue this obedience to God's word, don't do it in isolation. Pursue it together like we were talking about, and pursue it with the help of other believers. Listen, there are some great marriages here at First Baptist Church. Some folks that have been married a long time and are doing it right. Like, if you're struggling, look around and find one of those couples and say, hey, can you teach us? Can you just show us what it's supposed to look like? Can you guide us along the way? Don't do this in isolation. And you know what? Sometimes it's even helpful to get your peers together to say, man, we are struggling with this at our house. And I think when we share that with our peers, what you're going to hear is, ha, me too. Same, same at my house. And we can, we can work toward godliness together. As a body, because that's the way God's designed it. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I pray for wives in the room, Christian wives in the room, that you would give them eyes to see what is fitting in the Lord and give them a willingness to submit to their husbands accordingly. Give them hearts that do this with gladness and give them courage to swim against the current of the broader culture in obedience to you. And I pray for husbands in the room. Give us a clear vision of the love of Christ for the church and let us love our wives that same way. Give us humility and selflessness to lay down our very lives for our wives. Give us a spirit of gentleness and patience and kindness. And we pray that this text will encourage us where encouragement is needed and proper. 
and that this text will convict us where conviction is needed and proper in order to bring about repentance. Father, I believe there is massive repentance that needs to take place in some houses. Massive repentance that will lead to health, that will lead to godliness, that will lead to gospel proclamation. Pray that you'll bring it about uh, by your grace. And Father, Father, we do pray for folks who are from the outside who are in here today. We don't know you and your grace. I pray today that you make yourself known to them. You draw them in with power and authority. Change their lives forever. Give them faith. Give them repentance. And make them new creatures through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to sing a song of response. If you've got questions about the gospel, how to be saved, I'd love to talk with you about that or set up some time to talk to you about it. Maybe you don't have any more questions. God's moved in your heart. He's changed your life, and you want to tell the world about it. Let's, let's do that. Let's celebrate it and give God glory for it. Maybe you want to join First Baptist Church. Love to chat with you about that as well. Maybe you need to get your wife by the hand and pray with her. Apologize to her. Maybe you need to get your husband by the hand. You respond to the Lord as he leads.